The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. What is up, my beautiful people? This is Alex Alcazaz, a.k.a. the Bear of Texas, and this is Into the Net FC. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, it's my honor to bring back my good friend and my mentor in beautiful and sunny Southern California. Steve, are you ready to talk about the first three games of the USA World Cup qualifiers? Hey, it's Friday night here in L.A. The missus is in Minnesota looking after my grandson. Elmer the cat is sprawled out on my kitchen table here. So let's get to it. Well, let's get to it indeed. And, you know, didn't get off to the best start, but I think after three games we are off to a better start than we were back in 2017. Yeah, I mean, that whole... That whole shit show. And, and the thing to remember, too, about all that was, in spite of that, you know, horrible start, you know, losing the, losing to Mexico, getting blown out by Costa Rica, it cost Jurgen Klinsmann his job. They bring Bruce Arena back. And then um, the last game against Trinidad and Tobago, all the U.S. had to do was not lose. Trinidad and Tobago was last in the group. You know, this was back... You know, now they play eight teams. It's an octagonal. Back then it was the hexagonal. It was six teams. Trinidad and Tobago, Tobago was last. And they're playing in, in Port of Spain. The U.S. lays an absolute goose egg. They, they not only lose to Trinidad and Tobago, they get dominated. They lose to Zip. Um... Probably, no, not probably, as a U.S. soccer fan, by far and away the lowest point. Because, you know, back when I was growing up and, you know, they couldn't qualify for the World Cup, you know, 70, 74, 78, 82, 86. I mean, it, it wasn't a surprise because soccer wasn't a really big deal. I mean, the North American Soccer League really only formed in the, in the early, mid-70s. So, I mean, expectations for U.S. soccer were extremely low back then. But then when you have a certain level of success, you qualify for some World Cups. And not only qualify, have some World Cups where you play pretty well. I mean, 2002, when they made it to the quarterfinals, outplayed Germany in the quarterfinal, lost one zip, but thoroughly outplayed the Germans who would end up losing in the final to Brazil that year in 2002. 
I mean, that was that was probably the high watermark for for the U.S. So after that, expectations have been high, and uh, um, you know, where at least they were able to get out of group play in 2010 and 2014, but it was such an incredible failure, and uh, it's something that has really traumatized a lot of American soccer fans. So then this summer, you have um, the CONCACAF Nations Cup and the Gold Cup, and the U.S. somehow manages to win both of those events. They beat the heavily favored Mexicans in both games, even though, to be fair to Mexico, Mexico outplayed the U.S. in both games. But, you know, Greg Berhalter's guys were able to get the results, lift the hardware, Um I mean, the one good thing out of winning the Gold Cup is it gives the U.S. a chance to play in the Confederations Cup in Qatar, which is sort of like the dress rehearsal for the World Cup. So, I mean, yes, that's all well and good to play in the Confed Cup, but if you don't qualify for the World Cup, it don't mean shit. Mm-hmm. So you think going in when the schedule came out and the USA's first two games were at El Salvador, at home to Canada... And then on the road to Honduras, you had to think that, well, the, the game in Honduras is going to be tough. I mean, it's a it's a really, really tough place to get a result. El Salvador, you know, even though they played pretty darn well uh, during the Gold Cup, much better than a lot of people thought, a lot of people thought that that should have been a, a fairly easy win in El Salvador. Canada, you know, people think Canada, well... Canada is ice hockey. You know, they haven't qualified for a World Cup since 1986. And they so beat France, didn't they? They gave they gave France all kinds of headaches until Jean-Pierre Papin scores a late goal uh, to win the game for France. So, first game in El Salvador, and, um, you know, you think, okay, they've, they've got a pretty good shot, and um, ends up being a 0-0 draw. In San Salvador, you know that's what I feared would happen. I mean, the, the fact that we have to start this uh, qualifier with uh, with Christian Pulisic not playing, and and then it only gets worse. You know, when Weston McKinney is dismissed for violating the uh, the, the COVID nineteen safety protocol. You know, th- this is where the the stress is already rising, Steve, because the drama is already beginning to formulate, and it's formulating fast. I mean that game well, against Canada from your from your tweets and from the information you said, Canada could have won and the USA could have won that game too. So USA caught a bit of a break, even though a, a three points would have been better than one point, but it could have been worse. Well, let's back up a little bit. The zero zero game in El Salvador, the US had chances. Acosta hit one just over the bar. McKinney just missed. Uh, Robinson had a header that just went over. And, um, yeah, Costa's he hit his right off the crossbar. Um, as far as the good things, uh, the defense, central defensive partnership, Berhalter decided to go with Tim Ream to partner with uh, Anthony Robinson. And they actually played a pretty solid game in central defense. I actually, as far as, like, a game played by the central defense, that's probably the best game that, that the U.S. has played overall as far as their central defense. So Genio Dest, 
for how well he plays with Barcelona in the El Salvador game, he was showing himself to be a significant defensive liability. I mean, Tyler Adams was essentially having to defend two positions. So the good news in El Salvador was at least they got a point. They didn't lose. So that was kind of like the Cupid doll prize for the Americans. So then playing in Nashville, you know, in front of a, a big crowd at Nashville, playing Canada, you would think, well, you know, we should get the win. And um, started out pretty good. Uh, U.S. goes up on a Aronson goal that's off a really nice assist feed from Anthony Robinson. And you're thinking, okay, you know, all they got to do is just hold the lead. But the thing that, if, if you haven't seen Canada play, their pace, their team speed is just absolutely nothing if not breathtaking. And uh, Alfonso Davies, uh, he did unto um, DeAndre Yedlin. He did unto DeAndre Yedlin what uh, he's been doing to a lot of defenders in the Bundesliga in the last couple of years. You know, he just made him look like he was playing in quicksand. Got around Yedlin like nothing, like he was a pylon. Puts a, a great feed in for the, the Canadian goal from Kyle Laren. So, but the substitutes that Canada made later in the game, uh, they, they brought in a, a guy who plays with uh, the New England Revolution, uh, Tejan Buchanan, uh, on loan from uh, Club Bruges in Belgium. The amount of pace and energy that Buchanan brought in on the white on the right wing was just absolutely a thing to watch. He made he made those last twenty minutes just a nightmare for John Brooks. And you know, Brooks was having to do everything by hook or crook uh, to try to keep Buchanan uh, from from blowing by him. And um, you know he left him for dead. And you know Canada in the end they looked the they looked the more dangerous team on the night compared to the Americans. And, um, you know, the one thing that kind of helped the Americans a little bit, luckily, not so lucky for Canada, but luckily for the U.S., Alfonso Davies kind of tweaked a hammy. Um, I think it was like around the 70th minute. So thank, thank goodness that Davies wasn't on the field as well, too. But uh, but the U.S. actually was almost hanging on to get that uh, one-to-one draw. And um, when, when the whistle was blown at the end of the game, there were a lot of fans in Nashville that were booing, and understandably so. You know, based on the, how this game went, you know, I gotta be honest. You know, I was originally planning to watch the game until I learned that a local movie theater was actually going to be streaming last Sunday's uh, All Out pay per view for All Elite Wrestling, and I figured, well, you know, I definitely want to see that and. And I'm still pumped up from that pay-per-view because that was probably the greatest pro wrestling pay-per-view I've ever watched. But, you know, based on, you know, because during the time I was also checking my phone and, and seeing, you know, your tweets and everybody else's tweets from some of the writers that I know. And I'm like, yeah, this is not good. Based on the tone, I, I could hear it. I was like, yeah, this is just not good at all. Well, and Canada made a really good job of making their tactical substitutions and... For the life of me, and this was something that was making the Twitter universe for American soccer fans was just absolutely going fucking nuts, was 
why isn't Burhalter bringing in the subs? I mean, Pulisic looked like he was just absolutely freaking dying out there. I mean, a lot of the midfield was just really suffering in. So by the time he brings in Sergeant uh, De La Fuente and Rolden, they get on in the 83rd minute. I mean, there's abs- you, I really can't even say how well De La Fuente, uh, Sergeant Rolden played because they were brought in so late, it was absolutely inconsequential. It was the most incredibly poor use of substitution. I mean, again, he had guys that were clearly struggling in midfield and they also, you know, weren't creating as much offense. Um, it, it was just a game where they, they really were struggling. Uh, I mean, yeah, Pulisic, you know, hit one off the post. But, I mean, the U.S. attack didn't look that great. Canada looked much more dangerous on the night in Nashville. And um, a lot of people were calling for Greg Berhalter's ass to be served on a platter. Oh, 100%. At least four writers I know actually said that. And, and I spoke to one of them. And and one of them kind of said, "Hey Alex, uh, before you before you want to debate this, uh, let's not forget you're you're calling for the for the head of DD Deschamps, which is true. But hey, let's let's be honest, okay? France, you know, the, the amount of talent that France has compared to the U.S., you can't compare it. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, for me, I'm like, okay, but getting rid of Burkhalter, I mean, this is probably something you would say, but but if we fire him, who takes over?" Well, and that's the thing, too. You know, it's tough to find, you know, anybody that's halfway decent has a job, and I sure as hell don't want to see Bruce Arena come back, even though no. I'll say I'll say this. Yes, losing to Trinidad and Tobago was the lowest point in my lifetime as an American soccer fan, but Bruce Arena is also arguably the most successful U.S. soccer coach of uh, you know, to ply his trade. You know, the guy won everywhere. He won in college. He won in MLS. Uh, in the modern era, you know, the best result for, for a U.S. men's national team. But uh, but but Burhalter, uh, you know, people were really, really upset with his incredibly poor judgment in that. And then, um, of course, too, in Nashville, McKinney, not in the game, you know, poor judgment, uh, broke the protocols as far as, you know, trying to stay in the bubble. And, uh, you know, I realize that these are young guys. Uh, they're fit, they're athletic, the hormones are raging. Um, but, you know, it they really, really missed having McKinney in, in midfield. And then... You know, it also cost him a chance to play in Honduras. And then if you thought that the Twitter sphere was blowing up after the Canada game, well, shit. After the first half of Honduras versus the USA, I mean, it was one of the worst halves of soccer I can recall a U.S. men's team playing. Uh, Honduras was just running absolute rings around the U.S. Uh, they get a goal thanks to a cock-up by John Brooks. And Brooks, by the way, has had two really, really poor games. He played poorly 
you know, his his misplay helped lead to the Canadian goal too. Um, you know, just just a terrible, terrible first half, and um, so instead of waiting at the last minute, I think he, I think Berhalter learned his lesson from the Canada game. He made the switch right at halftime, brought um, brought Yedlin in for Sands, bought Anthony Robinson in for Bello, uh, bought Aronson in for Sargent, and um, uh, pretty much uh, everybody that came in as a substitute. Oh, and Leggett came in for Brooks. So every one of those every one of those substitutions had a hand in the four U.S. goals in the second half. But the one big talking point, of course, uh, is Ricardo Pepe, the pride of El Paso, Texas. Goal and two assists. Um, I mean, just a, the, the second youngest U.S. player after Christian Pulisic Second youngest U.S. player to play in a Kokaka qualifier for the U.S. And, um, you know, on the subject of Pulisic, uh, one bit of bad news out of the Honduras game is, you know, he, he tried to soldier on as best as he could, you know, with a ankle injury, but he limped off in the 62nd minute. So he's, he's on crutches right now, probably going to miss the, the next – 10 days for Chelsea and he's going to miss three games with, uh, with the blues. But, uh, but anyway, Pepe, who finally, you know, was he going to choose playing for Mexico because his parents are Mexican. He could have played for Mexico or played for the U S he plays his club soccer with, with FC Dallas. And he wasn't even starting at FC Dallas to start the season. But, um, uh, but he's just absolutely had the, the, the Midas touch. You know, everything he's touched has turned to gold. And um, I think Berhalter, I think under normal circumstances, I don't know if he would have brought Pepe out, but, I mean, he was at a point now where I think he was coaching for his job after that horrifically bad first half from the U.S. Uh, Berhalter had to do something, but, I mean, he had Pepe in for the, for, for the starting lineup, and it paid off. I tell you, Ricardo Pepe, I mean, the dude is just 18 years of age. 18 years of age. And I believe this was his, I think this was his first game, too, with the U.S. men's national team. It was his very, very first game. Yeah. Very, very first game. And correct me if I'm wrong, one goal and two assists? Yep. That is unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. I mean, now the adrenaline is pumping in big time, you know, because, you know, this is what I've been saying. In 2026, we could have the greatest, most talented American men's national soccer team that we have ever seen. And it's really starting to shape up to be looked that way. Well, and the other thing, too, that was going to add, you know, maybe make Berhalter lose a few more hairs. So going into the Honduras game, Gio Reyna out. Uh, Stefan, who was supposed to be the U.S. number one goaltender, Stefan was still out, you know, because of COVID. But to be honest with you, Turner looked great in goal for the U.S. I think, I think at this point, I think the I think the goalie shirt should be Turner's until his performance says otherwise. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, it was just uh, it was it was really a, a do or die type of situation. The starting lineup definitely was totally wrong, but give Burhalter credit for rolling snake eyes and every one of those substitutes had a hand in the U.S. getting back. The cross in from Yedlin was slide rule perfect, but the, the, the thing that was really incredible about it, too, I mean, the build-up to it, if you look it up on YouTube, look up the, the build-up, is phenomenal team goal with the touches on the ball, Yedlin's cross, but Pepe somehow being able to create enough space between two Honduran defenders to get his head onto the ball to put a really strong header that went into the back of the net. Fantastic goal. Um, so that, uh, yeah, second half was just such a total turnaround for, for the U.S. So now, after three games, and also, too, with goal difference, uh, winning 4-1, to one, so plus three on the goals, not inconsequential. So now Mexico's on top, and then you've got Canada, the U.S., Panama, and because of goal difference and number of goals scored, the U.S. has the tiebreaker right now over Panama, which is fairly convenient since the next game that the U.S. has to play, they'll be hosting Panama. Actually, I take that back. Their next game, they play Jamaica on the 7th, they play Panama on the 10th, and that one's going to be tough because they're going to have to go down to Panama City to play. Uh, they'll be playing at home against Jamaica, on the road in Panama, and then at home in Costa Rica. And um, I haven't heard which stadium is going to host the U.S.-Jamaica game, and I have not heard which stadium is going to host the Costa Rica game. Have you heard? I have, n- I have not, no. I mean, apparently, it's still an issue, but you know, but I'm looking, you know, and I'm looking at, at the uh, at the standings, and, and I got to be honest with you, I think Canada has a true golden legitimate chance of actually making it to the World Cup. I mean, it would be a hell of a story. I mean, if they do, it's the first time since 1986. And granted, the fact that in Canada, I mean, soccer has a decent amount of popularity in Canada. But when you think of Canada, hockey's always going to be the golden child when it comes to sports. But but for Canada to make it, I mean, because I mean, if Canada makes it to this one, because they'll be in two consecutive because they're one of the hosts for 2026. So imagine that, two consecutive appearances for them. I mean, that, in Canada's case, that's unheard of. Well, they've, and they're, they've got really good talent, and this talent is still very young. So, I mean, they're only... I think like this young group of Americans, I think this young group of Canadians is only going to get better and better. And uh, I watched Canada just totally demolish El Salvador. They were up two zip over El Salvador in 10 minutes. And, you know, probably could have had a couple more goals by the, by the 20th minute. But uh, they end up with a big win over El Salvador. And then um, Panama... They looked really good for about 60 minutes against Mexico in Panama City. Panama's not an easy place to play, and they've really improved a lot. Let's not forget, they actually qualified for their first FIFA World Cup when they qualified for Russia. Didn't do much when they got to Russia. They were pretty much a whipping post for everybody once they got there. But still, they made it. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's 
pretty pretty big deal for Panamanian soccer. Um, great atmosphere in Panama, and uh, they were giving Mexico fits. But it just sort of seemed like when it got to be around the 60th minute, um, I think Mexico increased their intensity, and they ended up getting a late equalizer. But uh, but still, uh, Panama undefeated after three games, big three zip win out in Jamaica. So um, you know it'll it'll be really interesting when the U.S. plays uh, plays Panama on October 10th. My buddy Tom Daniels, who he just uh, left California, he's living in Panama right now with his wife and his kid while they're waiting for things COVID-wise to open up to finally move to Vietnam. But for right now, they're living in Panama City, and I said, dude, you got to try to go see Panama play play the U.S. while you're down there. So, um, so yeah, um, things are things are you know very very interesting indeed. And you know the thing also I should point out, Jamaica, even though they're sitting in last place in, in the octagonal, um, they still got a last minute away draw at Costa Rica and Costa Rica is not an easy place to play. The U S has a hard time getting results in, in San Jose. Um, they actually were tied with Mexico at the Azteca until Mexico had an 89th minute goal. So, I mean, on the one hand you can say, yeah, well, uh, Jamaica is one draw on two losses, but you know, it's, the only game of the three that was really a stinker for the Jamaicans was that home loss against Panama. So, you know, there's there's really no true easy games in Concacaf. No, there really isn't. And you know, the, and the fact that after these games, there's a there's a it's actually a tie. It's really it really is a, a, a deadlock between the United States and Canada because. Both Canada and the U.S. have forced five goals while while allowing two. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, coincidentally, but you know, the, the fact the, the fact that the U.S.A. like you know jumped up, you know, the fact that that extra goal made it four to one allowed the U.S. to jump up to third. I mean, it put them in, in good position, but but I think now the U.S.A. has to win out. I mean, you know, in order to minimize all the risks, you, you're going to have to settle for three points. Well, they're going to have to put their foot on the gas pedal. These these next three games, you know, they got to get the win at home against Jamaica. The thing is, you got to get those home wins. You can't lose any more points at home. You know, dropping dropping points against Canada was massive. But uh, I got to tell you though, when they play that return leg against Canada, that'll be in Vancouver at BC Place, and that's a stadium I've been to. I was there four years ago for a rugby sevens event, and uh, it's a it's a covered stadium. You've got Seattle, which is very close, and uh, that's a very, very passionate USA soccer fan base up in Seattle. So you've got the potential for a good number of American fans, you know, to hopefully the COVID situation will be such that American fans will be able to go north of the border. But uh, Canadian fans are definitely going to be getting behind this team, and I think BC plays for that January game will be just absolutely rocking and um, you know, I for one, I can I can hardly wait for that. Oh, it'll certainly be exciting. I mean, you know, Vancouver is just one one of the most beautiful places on God's green earth. 
Yeah, I think, in my opinion, I think it's the most beautiful city in North America. Um, it's a it's an awesome place. If for our listeners, if you if you haven't had a chance to go to Vancouver, it's worth the trip. People are super nice. The natural views are amazing. There's some great restaurants and pubs there, uh, but uh, but but the scenery there is absolutely spectacular. Most people, I would say, the best cities in Canada are Montreal and Vancouver. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Montreal is actually my favorite city in North America, but uh, but yeah. So, uh, but for the U.S. and Canada, I mean, that's hey. Uh, it's great to have another great rival because most of the time when we think of our, our biggest rivals in Pankakif, we always think of, you know, first and foremost, El Tree, Mexico, and then Costa Rica. Um, but now Canada, USA, I mean, that's that's becoming a thing. It is. And, it is. Uh, and Panama has improved so much. And... Um, you know, but you you want to get one of those three automatic spots. You don't want to have to deal with finishing fourth place. I mean, yes, it kicks the can down the road. It bides you a little bit of time, but you're still going to have to play a playoff match, and you don't know who that playoff match is going to be with. You know, I I don't know if it's going to be against whoever comes out of Oceania. I don't know if it's going to be you know a European team or or like a fifth place team from the Asian Federation. I'm I'm not sure. I haven't seen, but you know that's certainly something you you really would like to avoid if at all possible. One hundred percent. That's why the U.S. wants to ensure that they, if they can if they have a chance to win in the group, you got to take it. And as far as for the United, for the USA so the next campaign, which is going to be in October, you know the fact that Paul Sick, like you mentioned, he was on crutches. You know he's going to miss some time for Chelsea. Uh, him being him being for these th- three games, it's it's the chances are certainly minimal. But you know, the, the news came out today that Weston McKinney will be starting for for Juventus. So if he starts for Juventus, has great, and then he play, starts even more, the USA is gonna is gonna call him up again. But I'm sure they're gonna tell him, Weston, for God's sake, don't violate the freaking protocols. Okay, we need you. I you know look, he's young. I mean, let's not forget. Uh, we're talking about 22, 23-year-old young men. 22, 23-year-old young men do stupid things. And, you know, we've all been there. And all I can say is I'm very, very thankful that when I was in college and the first couple of years I was in the Air Force, I am so thankful that we didn't have uh, Apple phones and social media and all that type of stuff. I, I am so thankful that stuff from college uh, hasn't come back to haunt me. So, you know, these guys are, you know, when you get down to it, these guys are not that far removed from, from college age uh, young men. So, but Kenny's a talent, you know, uh, I mean, I still think in some ways, you know, he may be a better player than Pulisic, but uh, he's certainly more, he's certainly more durable. The, the biggest knock on Pulisic, it's not his skills. He's got silky smooth skills. Uh, it's just he—he's just so brittle and he breaks down. And you know, he—he he did give it all he had. I mean, I mean, really and truly. I mean, he—he he left it on the field in Honduras, and you know, he was—he was suffering. You know, should have been substituted out of the Canada game much, much sooner too. So, 
Um, I'm hoping that Gio Reyna is healthy again um, because would love to see him back in uh, on the right wing. But as far as like with the with the U.S. forwards right now, uh, I think Pepe right now has played himself into a starting role right now. Uh, Sargent's play hasn't really impressed me a whole lot. I think in central defense, I, I think uh, I think Tim Ream should probably be starting up front instead of Brooks again, given how well he played against El Salvador. But, uh, but this is why you have to have a deep squad, and that's the one thing that the U.S. has going for it compared to like perhaps a team like Honduras, perhaps like a team like El Salvador. We do have a deeper bench. And, boy, we needed it the other day in Honduras. Oh, absolutely. But that game against Honduras, that second half was absolutely amazing. And I, I think that half the way that U.S. was, I mean, if they can keep building on it, the USA is, is going to secure a spot next uh, for, for next winter. Yeah, it's going to be in the winter, not the summer. They're going to book their spot next winter. In. And, and, and I believe in this U.S. team. I mean, right now... I have a little bit more faith in the U.S. men's national team than I have in the French freaking team because the French national team has two more. They only have two more games left to play, okay? And and France has to win out. I, I, I think I like their chances. Oh, I like their oh, chances. Or France or the U.S. I like. I, I mean, the U.S. improved their chances. I mean, they've still got a long ways to go. I mean, you know, they still got, they've still got a few more games to go yet. I I think France can see the finish line. And, um, you know, they played a good game the other, game, other day against Finland. You know, Griezmann gets a couple of goals, you know, both scoring with the outside of his boot. I think that, uh, you know, they may be coming together a little bit. I think this win in Honduras and the, fa- the fashion that how they did it, you know, without Reyna, without McKinney, uh, Polsic was there, you know, when the first goal was scored, and he, and he played a part of that. But... Uh, they were able to knock three goals, three more goals past Honduras, you know, without Pulisic, without McKinney, without Denst, um, without Reyna. So, you know, that, that, that gives you hope. It's like, hey, that gives us depth. That gives you competition. Competition is not a bad thing when you've got uh, players that are really, you know, going to have to to put out to impress for, for Berhalter and, you know, I, I hope that, you know, he learns from these cock-ups that happened from the first couple of games. Um, you know, just hopefully he can, it, when he's making moves like substitutions in a game, you know, boy, if he could roll snake eyes with those replacements like he did the other night in Honduras, um, it helps. But but it's funny that even after the win in Honduras, I mean, there's still, there's still a lot of people who want to see Burhalter fired. And, you know, just kind of laugh. I could have seen possibly him losing his job if the U.S. had lost. But um, but with that win and now all of a sudden with the position that the U.S. is in, you know, on top of beating Mexico twice in cup competitions this summer, I think that Berhalter has managed to, to bite himself some time. So let's see how it goes with these, you know, next three qualifiers in October against Jamaica, Panama, and Costa Rica. Everything should be fine, but but hopefully, you know, if Pulsa can come back, well, I want him to. But look, if, if he's still recovering, 
Don't rush the guy. That's all I can say. I mean, that's what I'm saying to Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea knows they can't rush him back because, I mean, they're the ones who spent, who spent a fortune trying to get the guy, so. Well, but here's the thing, and, and it's getting into another topic for another day, but Chelsea right now is so loaded that even, even a healthy Pulisic is going to have a really, really hard time um, fighting playing time. 100%, but that, that's Chelsea for you. But uh, USA, you know, has turned things around. But, you know, at this point, bottom line is you got to build, build, build. So, but the bottom line is things are looking a whole lot better after Wednesday than how they were looking after Sunday. 100%. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Into the Net FC is available to you on all streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Steve, thank you very, very much for having me. I can't wait to have you back on. Hey, everybody. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your club soccer. Now that the international break is over, the club soccer starts back with a vengeance this weekend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.